And uh, I just want to say that uh, I, I do feel just a, a small hint, if you will allow me, a small hint of jealousy that uh, both Toti and Ilfracom have uh, really enjoyed salvation stories re- in the recent past. That's uh, an incredible uh, encouragement and stirring faith. And uh, it's something that I really want to be praying for in, in the city. But thank you. Uh, everyone in Toti and Ilfracom for just stirring us to, to keep making the main thing the main thing. We're just seeing people uh, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. And, and, I, and I love uh, the did you know sections. It's just the one thing that we'll never not do in a, in a leadership summit because it is possible to feel uh, distinct and, and different due to geography. Uh, yet we're one church with one vision with one Lord over all, on the same mission to see people come to know Jesus. And it's just so encouraging to be like, wow, like, you know, this thing's happening here. I wasn't even there, but, but that's my family. That's my church. Thank you, Lord. Uh, can I pray for us before we, before we move on? Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in RRC. Lord, thank you for the many ways in which we are able to recognize the grace and mercy of the Lord so rich and deep in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the ways that we have not seen it yet. We're not able to identify it, but you're working. You're you're moving in people's hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that each of us as leaders, we wouldn't get so caught up on the next big thing that we wouldn't be able to stop and say, thank you, Baba. See you, Baba, for all that you are doing through us. We praise your holy name. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Yet if you're front and center of everything in the life of this church, the sky's the limit. Anything can be made possible. You're the God of the impossible. Amen. Amen. So session one, what we wanted to do was uh, double click on our vision for two reasons. Uh, Reason number one, it's mid-year. And it's so easy to kind of get slightly drifted off course or, you know, have, you know, your eyes not firmly fixed on the prize still. And so it's just a helpful uh, reminder to us that if you are a Rec Road member, and I mean, you're at a leaders meeting, so I'm expecting, uh, that, that therefore these are the things that you and I have committed ourselves to because that's what Jesus has called us to. Uh, but, the, but the second thing as well is because as we are entering and now firmly in a season of transition in the life of our church, there is just something that has not changed and will not change, which is our vision, which is what Jesus has called us as a church to do. And so even in a season of uncertainty, there is so much certainty in what you and I are meant to be doing. And in this second session, I want to very clearly, very directly uh, talk to us and encourage us as leaders in a season of transition. And if you remember, at the very beginning of the year, before any of us knew that any of this was going to happen, we were here and I was talking to us about what I called anti-fragile leadership. Uh, which is probably another way of saying faith-filled leadership. And uh, I know that I've spoken to many of you over the course of the months and uh, almost with like a a small chuckle uh, in my voice being like, man, this is what he called us to, anti-fragile leadership. No one knew what was coming our way, yet anti-fragile leadership embraces the, the challenge and embraces the new season of change. 
And this morning, I want to give us uh, a second leadership tool that we can add as an arrow into our quiver. Uh, the first one was anti-fragile leadership. The second one I want to look at a little bit is called a non-anxious presence. And we're going to look at this morning leadership as being a non-anxious presence. So this comes, again, like the anti-fragile philosophy, this comes uh, from a secular space. There is a, a man, Edwin Friedman. He was actually a rabbi and a family therapist. And Edward Friedman uh, defines uh, or kind of distinguishes between do, two different types of anxiety. In conversations with mental health ever increasing and ever important for us to talk about, uh, this is uh, one man's attempt to try and understand different types of anxiety. And there's, there's a lot. Uh, I'm only going to be focusing on, on one this morning. On one hand, he, he acknowledges the personal or the individual mental health struggles that come with anxiety. And on the other hand, he looks at what he would call social anxiety or collective anxiety, not an individual personal struggle, but what happens when you are in a group of people who are going through a situation, who are going through the same thing together, and how that can breed, and he has a, a phrase, he calls it a system, I would call it an environment or an atmosphere that can provoke anxiety in us. That's not an individual mental health challenge, but that is a collective response to what is happening around you, your situations, your circumstances. And so he distinguishes, and we're going to be looking at the social uh, anxiety. We're going to be looking at systemic construction of an anxious environment where we might find ourselves. And I want to just focus a little bit for a couple of minutes on anxiety, because I'm not talking about all forms of anxiety. I'm talking just specifically about one. There's a really helpful book uh, by a biblical counselor by Tim Lane, uh, and he's written it called Living Without Worry. And uh, Tim Lane defines anxiety uh, in a secular sense like this. He, uh, in, uh, he says that the mental and bodily functions find anxi in anxiety a meeting place that is unparalleled with other aspects of human life. Drawing from Alan Horitz, he says that factors relating to our biology, physiology, life history, social and natural environments are all present potential causes of anxiety. However, that's a secular understanding of anxiety coming from different lenses. Tim, uh, Tim Lane here talks about anxiety in a different way as well. He says this, while there are various factors that are very important in understanding how, I, how anxiety is provoked, the Bible cuts deeper than any of them because it says that worry is a deeply spiritual issue. It is not to say that the Bible ignores or disputes the mental, psychological, historical, social, and, or environmental aspects of worry. It doesn't. But it sees all of them as part of a spiritual issue, that worry is ultimately a life lived in response to God's world. Worry is therefore a response to God. He goes on later in this book to say that there are good, godly concerns, but that these good, godly concerns can become over-concerns that become sinful concerns because they stop trusting and believing in Jesus. It's looking at situations like Jesus is invisible in those situations. There are good, godly concerns that all of us should have. We should be concerned that people are walking in sin and haven't met Jesus. 
That should be a concern that creates a burden, that creates a compelling desire to go and reach the lost. We, we should be deeply concerned when we see unrighteousness reigning in our country. We should be deeply concerned when your little daughter cries outside and you're just kind of hoping that maybe mom is around somewhere, right? <laughs> that there are good godly concerns. However, if you uh, entertain them, if you meditate, if you allow yourself to get overly focused on them without bringing your faith to speak into those situations, Tim Lane says they become over-concerns. Perhaps uh, one of the, the most clearest and helpful definitions of this kind of an anxiety comes from a guy called Mon, John Mark Comer. And John Mark Comer says this, anxiety is imagining a future without Jesus in it. Imagining a future without Jesus in it. Now, now think about that just for a brief moment, okay? Is Jesus not in any and everyone's future? We know he is. That sentence actually does not make sense, does it? Because he is the great I am. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is eternally present in all things, and he promises to never leave or forsake you, even into your future. Therefore, this sentence does not make sense. And therefore, adopting anxiety because you've not considered Jesus in your future is irrational. But it is more than irrational. It is the opposite of faith, which means it is a form of unbelief. It would be unbelieving for us to think that Jesus is not, not just in our future, but twisting and working and redemptively moving our future for our good and his glory. So this kind of form of social anxiety, which is essentially keeping our eyes fixed on our surroundings or our situations, rather than on our God, is an irrational, unbelieving response to our world and to our God. But if we look at this definition, I want to suggest that there is absolutely no reason for any rec road leader to be anxious about our future. Because... Because this guy is not Jesus. And if he was, we would have been in trouble long ago. Hey. <laughs> because Gareth and Nadine, because the Bowleys are not Jesus, the fact that they might not be in our future like on here on a Sunday, every single Sunday, is not a cause for concern or panic. If Jesus was not in our future, we should be shaking in our boots. But Gareth is close to Jesus in a lot of ways, but he's not quite there yet. And therefore, we don't have to be worried. In fact, if we put our anti-fragile lenses on, our glasses on, we, we can actually choose to say that rather than being anxious about the future of Rec Road, there is much reason to be very excited. And so I want to focus on that a little bit. 
Edwin Friedman, the guy who kind of authored this idea of a non-anxious presence, talks a little bit about what he calls gray zones. And there's a, a diagram kind of come up on the screen that, sh that shows a gray zone a little bit. So he says that just before you get into a new season or just before you get into a new era, there comes what he calls a gray zone. Like, for example, when your pastor who has been your pastor for 20 years decides that the call of God on him is leading him somewhere else. And you know that as a church, you need to enter into to a transition. There is a new era about to crest, about to dawn for Wreck Road, but just before the new era starts, there's a gray zone. There is a transition period for us. Gray zones, he just says, are seasons of tremendous change, and often they can be chaotic or even sometimes tumultuous. The, that is the reason why they can stir up anxiety or fear in our hearts. There's a couple of examples even in South African history of this. The Mefekane. I think I said that right. Mefekane. The, the period in South African history, the, the 1810s to around 1840s, where colonial expansion met uh, a confederacy, the Zulu confederacy beginning to merge together, individual families and clans becoming a tribe. It was a, a season of incredible violent change as borders changed, as people's livelihoods changed, as who you belonged to, your allegiance, all of that changed. There is a season of our history like that. More recently, perhaps the Codessa uh, negotiations of the late 1980s, early 1990s. Again, you can see the change on the horizon, but before the change comes, there is a, another season of incredible, chaotic, sometimes violent, tumultuous waves cresting on us. Or perhaps even the COVID-19 pandemic. Not necessarily a new era in itself, but a transition from old to new. A transition into a new world order where there's a, a new normal as lockdowns and economic collapses create an entirely different world to the one that we began 2020 in. The world goes through great changes all the time. And so do families, so do communities, so do businesses, so do institutions. So we are in a bit of a gray zone moment. However, with the anti-fragile faith, anti, uh, faith lenses on, we see something else about gray zones. We don't see the tumultuous change. Australian pastor Mark Sayers says this. He writes a book called the Being a Non-Anxious Presence. And he says that the thing that people often miss about gray zone transitions is that they often become what he calls the seedbed for renewal. The seedbed of renewal. That is the season. That is the moment when seeds of faith are being sown. It's not yet the new plant, but it's the seeds of the new. It is the seeds of future health. He talks about having harvest that is being prepared, not yet reaped and enjoyed, but being prepared in the vineyards. He talks about soil that is being tilled, removing the, the rocks and the stones so that the soil might remain fertile and give future growth. What we're looking at when we're talking about a gray zone, a season of change, is a season of anxiety, of uncertainty, doesn't have to be a season of anxiety. A season of uncertainty that doesn't have to be a season of anxiety. In fact, rather than being an anxiety, it can be an opportunity. It can be an opportunity to rediscover what is most fundamental about our faith and run back to prayerful dependence on our leader. 
like our real leader, like the one who leads his church, like the one who is the head of all things and has all things under his footstool, like the one who has the keys of heaven and hell in his hands, like the one who has the power to redeem and restore and ransom and make new anyone in a moment. Gray zones are wonderful opportunities to rediscover prayerful dependence. And when we discover prayerful dependence, we run back to the person that should have always had our trust, should have always had our dependency. It is important to say in a leaders meeting when so many of us have such deep relationships with the Bolis that if you have overextended your dependency to Jesus and it's time to go back to Jesus. It's time to stop putting on them what should have always been on him. Gareth and Nadine never promised to never leave or never forsake. <laughs> Am I right? I hope. I've only been here the last five years. But you have a man who has. You have someone who we call ever-present and ever-faithful. And I want us to think about this man just for a couple of minutes. I want you to think about the non-anxious presence of the Prince of Peace himself. And I want to do this by reminding you of a story. I want you to think about Jesus as he stood so sure and so unintimidated in the midst of the disciples' chaotic panic as the wind and the waves crashed against the side of the boat. And where the wind and the waves caused fear and anxiety to rise, there stood a man with a calm, peaceful, certain presence. And that man cried out, be still. And I still don't know if he was talking about the wind and the waves of the sea or the wind and the waves of the heart. And whether for him the wind and the waves was to provoke fear or actually wonder. Not quite fear, something more, something better, something transcendent. A fearful, holy, reverent wonder that if the wind and the waves can't be controlled by anyone, who's the man who's standing in the boat and controlling it now? I want you to think about Jesus who exchanged their fear of the world for wonder in their God and did that by saying, be still. He did that by commanding peace by being a non-anxious presence. See, that, friends, there is a reason why hundreds of years before he arrived, he was prophesied and given a name, and the name was the Prince of Peace. It's not something that he had. It's who he was. He doesn't bring you some peace. He brings you himself because he is peace. He is transcendent peace. And because he's God, he's transcendent peace even when you don't understand it. And above and beyond any situation that you and I can bring. That's why in Scripture we read these things about sin. We read that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. We read Jesus saying, in me you have peace. Peace I leave you. Peace I give you. He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind has stayed on him. Come to me, all who are weary 
and heavy laden. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He can say that because he is himself peace. And you are called as a leader to reflect him. And in this moment, in this season, in the gray zone of a transition, your best reflection of him as a leader is going to be your non-anxious presence. It's going to be taking the prince of peace and reflecting his peace to everyone who is around you. Being a non-anxious presence is not necessarily about what you might say, what you might do, what you might prioritize, or what you're capable of. Being a non-anxious presence is your serenity in storms. It's your calm in chaos. It's your peace in pain. It's your wonder in the wilderness. It's who you are. It's your presence. It's just showing up and being there and having a deep faith and trust in him. It's so easy as a leader to think, to be a leader, I need to be able to. I need to be able to do this. I need to be able to say this. I, maybe you look up to good leaders. Uh, maybe it's in your life, your home, your school, your church, the national political scene, and you think, man, if only I could do this, if only I could speak like that, if only I had the wisdom of this. But your greatest leadership gift is going to be by being, by just being present and showing people that you're not afraid, you're not scared, you're not put off. You're an anti-fragile leader. You're a non-anxious leader. You are so filled with the Prince of Peace that you can't help but reflect his peace to those around you. And a couple more things to finish off with. Uh, Friedman, Edwin Friedman, the guy who wrote about non-anxious presence, he calls leaders the immune system of their environments. He says leaders are the immune system of their environments. He says that uh, their goal is to be able to defend and attack. Uh, your goal is not to cause harm, but it's to create peace and harmony and unity together. You, therefore, leaders, you are the immune system of Reconciliation Road Church. You're the immune system because you're the ones who keep the church safe. You're the ones who keep the church healthy. You're the ones that keep us focused on the main thing all the time. You're the immune system. You are the ones who work to maintain and protect the health of our family. And Friedman argues that in non-anxious environments, the most important attributes that you have to be able to defend and protect and work for their health is your ever-present peace. Your peaceful certainty in Jesus, even through uncertain gray zones. Why? Because gray zones with anti-fragile faith lenses on look like opportunities. They look like the very kind of thing that we were made to be in. And think about the Bible and think about the people of God. They thrive in gray zones. And they grow dull and weak and ineffective in comfort. Throughout Scripture, think of the wilderness, think of the axe scattering. When we are comfortable, when we find things easy, we're ineffective. God's great plan and purpose is to keep us uncomfortable, 
is to keep us just a little bit uncertain that we might be a little bit dependent on him. And so we mustn't be afraid of this gray zone of transition. Actually, though we do not know what the future holds for us, there should be a bubbling up excitement. Why? Because gray zones are the seedbeds of renewal. Gray zones is when you and I as leaders are sowing for the future of our church. Are you sowing for the future of this church? In your community groups, in your ministries, in, in your organic relationships and conversations, are you sowing for the future of this church? Our family, Rec Road Church, our faith family needs anti-fragile, non-anxious leaders who are going to be steady in the midst of the waves and the winds, who are going to be able to hold the helm of the ship and make sure that it always points to Jesus. That is what you are called to do in this season. That is what you are called to be in this season. A calm, assured, hopeful, excited leader of faith. Because Jesus is still leading his church. Let me pray for us for a second. Father God, we want to lay before you wherever we have not been at peace. We want to lay before you if there's any area of our lives, both personal and in the life of our church, where we have not felt peaceful where there are things that have actually stopped us from imagining that you are in our future. And Lord, we ask that you would show those things that we might be able to respond to you. We might be able to turn back, repent, and come back to faith in you. Jesus, we want to thank you that we can be steadfast and sure in an unsettling season because you are still the head. You are still the body, you are still the husband, you are still the shepherd, you are everything we need, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would focus more on you. We would not be Peter. We would focus on our Savior to focus on the wind. We would be so filled with wonder that we would be too busy to focus on the wind. Jesus, we want calm and peace to just just to radiate from us, not because it comes from us, but because we're so busy spending time with you. We're so busy fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we want to ask that you would help us now to practically apply this and to actually ask questions about how we ourselves can be non-anxious, anti-fragile leaders. And we ask your help as we practically apply this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into group times. I've got two questions that are going to come up on the slide to help you to take the idea, the non-anxious leader, and, and to apply it to you and to your leadership, both the roles and the relationships that you have as a leader. Uh, but I've actually asked uh, two people to come and just kind of get us kick-started to give us a bit of a framework. And so uh, can I ask Tessa and Nandando, when you just come on up, uh, and I've got, given them a couple of questions. I think hearing their answers might help you into some of your answers. 
One question each for both of them. And what I want to do is just eke out some of the longevity. Both of these guys have been recruiters for a long time. So I want to eke out some of the lessons of their faithful longevity. And then I want to ask them a question that I'm going to ask you guys as well. So Tessa, uh, Tessa came to me. Yep. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, so Tessa, you came to me on the 4th of June, after we announced in Toti that the Bodhis were leaving, and uh, you said to me, hey, I've, I've like been here 30 plus years, and this is just a new season. And I just thought, man, we need to get some Tessa on the mic at some point. So sorry, sorry, Tessa. Tessa, you've been, you're one of the rare people in the room who's been here through seasons of change and transitions. You've, you've seen names change, you've seen leaders change, you've seen vision statements change. Can you tell us just a little bit of your learnings as you've been a faithful Rec Road member? Thanks. Um, Mahrit is another person who's been here maybe slightly longer than I have. She can, <laughs> she can jump in. Totally jump in. Um, yeah, so when I first joined, this church was called Amams and Todi Christian Fellowship, or ACF for short. Um, then Ian Goulet, who had started the church, was... Uh, leading the church. He was leading with uh, Guy Pohl, if anybody knows who that is. And Greg's dad was also on the eldership team okay. in those days. Um, Neil Framant was also part of the, t the leadership then. And then uh, between Ian and Neil, um, well, Neil held it for a little while, and then Costa Filippo led the church for some time before Gareth. Um, the church name changed to Oasis Ministries, and then when Gareth came, sometime after that, we changed it to Oasis Church, and now we wreck road. Mm. So, um, yeah, in the time of Costa Filippo, Doug Lanyon, if anybody remembers Doug, um, and Johnny van Rensburg were there, and then Craig Buerta also. There was a transition between Costa and Gareth, and that those, Johnny and Doug and... Craig Werther kind of led us through that time. Okay. Um, I wasn't really in, in leadership then. I was a community group leader. Um, but there was never really a sense of panic amongst the leaders that I've noticed um, during that time. Um, yeah. That's great. What I, what I want you to hear from Tessa is we've been here before. Yeah. Okay. I might not have personally in this specific congregation. I know many of us haven't been here, but we, the church, we've done this before. We've had leaders uh, move on in seasons of life. We've had name changes. We've had vision changes. Uh, we've got every, <laughs> we've got testimonies of uh, witnesses who say, "Hey, this is not something to panic about." Actually. So thanks, Tessa. I'm going to come back to you in a sec. Nondando, Nondando's. You're basically a daughter of Rec Road. You're basically like our, you know, the rec roads, like you've grown up here and stuff. You, you know, you've seen so many seasons and people come and go and new things. What have been some of the things that you've kind of just witnessed growing up and, you know, you remember, hey, this is a rec road thing, you know? Do you want to tell us? Um, yeah, two things just came up uh, when you asked me that question. And uh, this is a give me Jay answer, but... It's it's true <laughs> um, that Jesus at the center. Mm. Uh, that's one of the most 
important features that I've seen um, in Rick Road growing up in, in the church. It's, it's never been about Gareth. Um, it's never been about yeah. the worship team and yeah. steam coming out from the stage and <laughs> things like that. Has <laughs> that ever happened? It does. Um, yeah, just Jesus reliant all the time. Um, and something beautiful, um, a beautiful feature that I've seen throughout the years growing up in the church um, is the church being for all people. Um, being non-racial, multicultural, um, class-crossing church, um, and just witnessing that growing up mm. in the church. You know, mm. I remember one of the weirdest things <laughs> I thought of that, mm, we go to church with white people. <laughs> 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 it was just weird. It's, it was a weird thing um, for me then. And when I shared, like, about my church at school, like, oh, you go to church with white people, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it it just became a thing, and it just became Ubuti. it's family, we family, and uh, yeah, mm. that's it. Yeah, I want you to hear that there's some things that have always been and always will be in Rec Road, and in fact, uh, in the very early days, I think I can share this. I'm just you know, in the very early days, we we asked for one of the guys who oversees our church just to speak, speak some counsel, some wisdom into us as elders. And I remember uh, we all walked away. I think Gareth, you even voice noted the elders like, "I'm so proud of you guys. Like, when you're never gonna let the vision go. You're never gonna let these things like we've 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 built trenches, deep foundations of stuff that will never uh, never leave us. And again, I think that's the source for certainty." I think in a mist of uncertainty, not sure what next year looks like, actually, we kind of do. It's going to look like how it has been looking. It's going to look like the kind of things that you and I day in, day out, pray for this church for. And so actually, there's a lot of certainty, even in some uncertainty. Yet I do want to acknowledge that we are, you know, we are in a season of a gray zone. We're in a season of change. And it's possible for all of us in our own hearts, particularly for those who we lead and the relationships of those around us, whether it's in our trios or in our community groups, uh, for, for change to feel unsettling. And in unsettling change, we really need non-anxious leaders. And so I, I want to just ask both of you guys, essentially the first question kind of up there, but I've given it to you already, don't worry. Uh, what does it practically look like to be a non-anxious presence? Tank. Mm. You know... Spend time working on your faith tank. If you're leading people, you need to be full of faith. You need to spend time with God, Amen. really praying and listening, hearing the Holy Spirit mm. so that you can show that you have faith. And th mm. I mean, that's, yeah. that's for me. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then I think in that you can encourage others to talk about their concerns and their worries and their doubts. And yeah. um, sorry, I had to, I had to write it down. That's good. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, get, encourage them to speak to a leader. If, if they don't feel like they're not getting enough from you, you know, mm. speak to Gareth or whoever, um, Rob, um, mm. Tom, Canuso or whoever, um, you know, encourage people to talk about it, not to hold back and not to hold on to their fears or doubts. Mm. Um, and, I mean, we've said it already before, but to remind people this church believes and preaches the Bible, not the thoughts and ideas of a person. 
And that was something that we Amen. were told right Amen. in the beginning when there were first changes in this church mm. and changes to leadership um, years and years and years ago that mm. um, we follow Jesus, we don't follow a man. I yeah. mean, you've already said yeah. it, but I just that was something that's always stuck with me. Mm. Um, but mm. then, yeah, that's as good. I said before, this work on our own faith tank that we can yeah. um, help others with yeah. theirs. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking now, actually, the, the piece that we're meant to kind of reflect is not peace that we're meant to manufacture. Mm -hmm. We've got to receive that somewhere from someone if we're going to be able to dispense that and reflect that there. So I, I love that point. Like per our personal devotion, right, we've spoken a bit about that already. Like our personal devotion is crucial in these seasons. Thanks so much, Tessa. Lontando, same question. What, do, what does it look like to be a non-anxious presence? Sheesh. Um, copy, <laughs> copy and paste my test. It's literally um, what was I thought about um, that personal devotional with with the Lord is. Um, so when you asked pose this question, I actually just went back to when we heard the news um, when Gareth shared the news about the transition and what God is calling him to do. And I remember my word. I was a spoiled brat. I called myself that. Um, she actually said that to me in a voice yeah, note. I realize I I'm being a spoiled brat. I acted like a spoiled No one a thinks you're a spoiled brat, <laughs> But um, it took some time, like me spending a lot of time with God, uh, just processing my thoughts because he showed, the Lord actually showed me that my heart was not in the right uh, position, like my heart posture would, was not right, and uh, I had placed a lot on Gareth and the Bowleys, and you know, so he had some fixing to do then, and yesterday I was panicking, like there was, I think it was a week or two, uh, I couldn't actually voice out what I was feeling. Um, luckily, I was on sick leave, and I was just crying the whole time. <laughs> And then even when I went back to work, I was looking at the screen. So even if I cry, you know, at least it's just the screen that's seeing me. Um, but a lot of time with the Lord, being honest with God. Yeah. Um, it took that for me to come into a place where I'm not anxious anymore. Um, and one of the things that, that's great. that Garrett said is that now you, yes, you've processed your thoughts and your anxiety with the Lord. Um, now you're going to help other people do that. Um, so it's it's just pointing people back to Jesus because that's what the Lord had to do yeah. with me. Excellent, yeah. amazing. So I want to uh, I want to give kind of two answers. My own kind of Tom, what does it look like for for me to be as well? But uh, it's it's very much kind of what Nondando was saying. You got to stay up here. I'm not letting you go. <laughs> just you, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys can go. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, so for me, two final thoughts from my own answer to the first question before we go into groups. Uh, one, copy and paste from Nontando, the, the processing. If, you, if you're being hit by winds and waves, it's, if that's what you're feeling in your heart, wind, winds and waves in the heart, it, it, it's hard to not panic. It's hard to not feel like this. Uh, yesterday, Knox and I got some kind of personal news that made me really feel like that, like winds and waves. And uh, I realized, uh, I didn't even like, 
get on my knees, woe is me, put sack uh, chopper on and like, you know, tear my hair out. I just sat down and had an honest conversation with Knox. I was like, I realized I didn't actually believe, I don't actually believe that God can do this. And that makes no sense with what I believe. Uh, and I had to voice that out. Uh, that's what a lament is. It's a, a giving voice, giving expression to the feelings that you are inside. Because when you are honest with yourself, you're being honest with your God. And he's not going to get scared and he's not going to run away. He's going to just want to hear the honest processings of his children. And so, so you can't be an unanxious presence if that's not in your heart. So you need peace in your heart first. And the tool to do that, the great grace gift is, is lament. Uh, having a, a lifestyle where we're unafraid to go before God and be honest with Him. Uh, and then the second thing from, from me was just to, to keep on communicating gently, clearly, and regularly. Uh, have an open-door policy with anyone who is around you. It's totally okay for you to not be okay. I don't want the processed thoughts. I want you to be honest and open. I want you to know that you've got a safe space with me. If each of us do that, if, if as community group leaders, you create, you exude, like, you know, there's just a feeling in the room of your peacefulness kind of shaping the room, shaping the group. It's going to create such safety and openness for people to be able to receive the peace of God through you. And so just there were my two things was lamenting and, and, and just being committed to open, ongoing, regular, gentle communication, making sure we always have an open door policy to each other. I'm going to give us, uh, I'm going to go a few minutes, just a couple of minutes into lunch. I'm going to give us 10 minutes. I want us to get into groups. I think maybe let's get into groups of three, just slightly smaller for, for two questions. What does it look like? And then is there anything stopping you from receiving peace from God? Is there any area of your life where you realize, hey, I'm not peaceful about this thing? Or is there any, something that's like actually a blockage for you? It's like, hey, there's a road bump here. I wish I could be peaceful, but this thing, this worrying area is, is troubling me. So what does it look like? Are there any roadblocks?